0: Your goodness and your grace in our lives. We thank you that uh, one day that'll be a true experience for us, that uh, we will be with you on an awesome thing. And uh, we just pray for a good time together this morning, learning from your word, hearing your good news, and uh, rejoicing together in it, in Jesus' name, amen. There you go. how's everybody doing this morning it's nice out right I don't know about anybody I love outside I don't mind meeting out here at all I know it's a little bit of work Um, we're so grateful for the people who uh, show up to help out and put everything together we need more of you so if that's you um, if you're available uh, please see Gregory um, or just put in the connection card turn it in I want to help that'd be great I know what some of you are thinking, so I want to put your mind at ease real quick. Okay. So we've been, uh, we're back in the gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 18. It's a little bit of a continuation from what uh, Pastor Bruce talked about last week, in that it's concern on the part of the disciples about when Christ might come and make everything right. Uh, The end of the age, some people might um, indicate it as being. And we're talking about the gospel. The gospel means good news. And like Pastor Bruce likes to tell us, it's good news, it's not good advice. By the way, Pastor Bruce, I failed to let everybody know last hour, Pastor Bruce is preaching for a friend in Missouri. Um, Ugh. I don't know what that means because I've never been to Missouri. Um, Hopefully that's a good thing. And uh, he'll be back tomorrow. So it's just kind of a really quick turnaround for him. He appreciates your prayers. But good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. And I see the gospel as kind of three things. It's the blessing of what God will take care of for us that we can't take care of on our own. His loving heart cares so much for people. And he wants to draw people to himself so desperately that he went to great lengths to make sure, number one, that our sins would be forgiven. I can't, I can't compensate for the, way, the, way, the many, many ways that I've failed God, that I've failed other people. And God knows that we're weak in that way, and so he sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And that sacrifice is acceptable to God, Uh, And that's good news. Life's hard. Life is really hard. And for some of us, you might be going through a really difficult season now. You may have been through a difficult season. Uh, You may be about to go through a difficult season. And everybody does. And thankfully, when you know Jesus Christ, he goes through it with you. And I can't take care of this life on my own, but I've, uh, I and my family, we've had some tough things to go through and I'm so grateful for uh, the, the companionship and the care and the support I get from God. And there's one other thing that God takes care of that you cannot take care of on your own and that is eternity. You can't earn your way into heaven. And he knows this, so he provided a way. Jesus says the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. He rose on the third day. Triumphantly to bring life eternal and all that is represented in that for us to take care of what we can't take care of on our own and that is good news. And that's what we hear in the Gospels, uh, even here, especially in Luke 18, which hopefully you've had time to turn there. And we're gonna go through this parable and hopefully find a word of encouragement for, uh, from it for getting through and waiting well because as we already said life can be tough and here's what Jesus told these guys who were uh, curious about the, the end of days he said, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. A parable by the way is just a story it's an illustration that helps teach a point and Christ starts off here with the two points, straight out of the gate, you ought always to pray and not lose heart. And we'll focus on those things here in a minute. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that said city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, come really clear through to us by just taking a look at the three characters that Jesus chooses for this story. And the first is the widow. We don't know much about the widow from the story, but we do know from uh, history what the Roman culture uh, and even Jewish culture, what was going on there and how they would have understood what it meant to be a widow. And a widow would have been weak, desolate, Oppressed, or at least feeling oppressed, in a Roman society that didn't value people very well at all, defenseless, and we can see here clearly that she wanted justice. justice. She wanted relief, so much so that she was crying out for it every day. To a judge who unfortunately was appointed by Rome, a ruthless, notorious uh, government, and he himself was most likely notorious. Certainly, we can see from the, pas- the passage that he was indifferent. People will be asked sometimes, what's the opposite of love? And we'll say, "Hate." and hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is. Indifference means to not care. And this guy didn't care much for this lady. He was indifferent. But he ends up answering. Some interesting about the answer. It was for his personal benefit. It wasn't for the benefit of the widow. It wasn't for the benefit of anybody else but himself. He was, uh, in his words, probably he would say, I'm being nagged. If I want to get rid of this widow, if I want her out of my life, I better do this. And it was about him. He wasn't granting her a favor. It was about him. And he was reluctant to do this. Obviously, it went on for days, weeks, months. We don't know the time. And again, it's a parable. It's a story. It's to emphasize truths that we can learn and adapt to our lives. But then there's God the Father. He's sovereign, which means He's in control. It's like a king, but He's a perfect king. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. He's perfect. He's 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 perfect in every respect. He's perfect love. He's perfect care. He's perfect compassion, mercy, goodness, holiness. He's perfect. And in that perfection, even though He's so separated from us, He lovingly listens and cares to his people. So much so that he's even an advocate and he answers, unlike the unjust judge, he answers to bless. Here's a part me. I know you caught it. It says in there that he will, he will give them justice speedily and he's committed to justice. But here's the thing about justice and God's justice. It's in his time and being that he's eternal and we are human, and we are limited by time, it's hard for us to understand when he says that I will answer speedily, and I will give them justice. And it's that eternal versus human contrast that can make being here waiting really hard. The Bible even says that we suffer for a little while, and it doesn't feel short to us because we're in the middle of it, especially right now in 2020, I think a lot of ways, we feel like the widow. We feel weak, desolate, oppressed, defenseless, like we don't have an advocate. And waiting can be hard. It can be hard no matter where we wait because all of us have waited. We've all done it. I took a survey of some friends. And of course, about 9 million people said, uh, the longest wait I've ever had is at the DMV. And we've all been there for sure. What about the, somebody said, and I forgot I was there. I didn't even put this on my list. And I was, I was here. Uh, Last year, we waited at the border over 10 hours to get back to America. That was quite a thing. No bathrooms, hardly any food around, you know, just carts and stuff. They don't take ATMs. That's a problem. so over 10 hours, that was crazy. A friend of mine said it was a funny story. He regretted the time that he went to wait in line for the new car's ride at Disneyland. It was new. He was in that line for a two-and- a-half- minute ride for over four hours. But the topper was some friends who uh, were in college in the late '60s. They went to UCLA, and they waited in tickets. They waited in line for tickets for SC tickets for 18 hours. Now this is commitment of waiting right here. And then I had to ask her, I mean, who won? She goes, well, SC won, we were cheated. And I'm sure that's true. Um, and the challenge from the parable to me and you today is that, you know, will we wait well? Will we wait well? We, we know we have to wait. We cry out for justice. If we could, we would snap our fingers and Jesus would come tomorrow. We want out of this place a lot of days in the course of a year. We just It would be great if he would come through in the immediate. But we're called here to wait well. And waiting well is really, if you think about it, it's a sign of maturity. When you're at the DMV, you know, like, and you're in line and you're, you're with your two-and-a-half-year-old and they're having a really tough time waiting the three, four hours, whatever it might have taken you, they're having a tough time. We understand that. We look at that and say, oh, the poor kid, how hard. How, this poor mom had to bring her kid to the DMV. What? A, we feel sorry. But if the 46-year-old's uh, throwing a tantrum and throwing his toys across the floor at the DMV, we look at him and go, that's kind of immature. Waiting well is a sign of maturity. And Jesus is hoping we wait well because at the end, he even says, Hey, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find a population of people? Will I find a church that has waited well? How do you wait well? It takes faith to wait well. And a certain kind of faith that I see here, three kind of components of faith that help us wait well. And the first one comes from that instruction to always pray in verse one. That's relational faith. We are told in Matthew 22 that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And that happens when we have a good two-way relationship is what we learned from our good friend, Jim Erickson, a couple years ago when he preached. And for any of us who have sat under his tutelage, Praying is us relating to God. It's talking to God. And he's saying here, hey, pray always, always pray. Always be in good communication with God. All day, every day, seeking wisdom, strength, help, guidance. And here's the problem. I think we look at prayer too often as if it's ceremonial or religious instead of relational. It may be those things. But it's first, it's relational. It's understanding that every slice of my day should include God. And if it is, I'm gonna be talking with him. The Bible says that God is with us always in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, He's always with you. We always have the, him with us and it's, we wanna be talking to him. Most of us here have either been on one side or the other of this. You're in a relational situation. You're at lunch with friends. You're sitting at the dinner table with a family and you, probably none of you, I have my face in my phone. And I pretend like I'm listening and I respond indifferently, but I'm not talking with. And somebody who cares about the relationship at the table might say, Dad, get out of your phone. Jim, get out of your phone. We're here to talk together. And we treat God the same way too often. We need to have a relationship with God that isn't indifferent, that isn't uh, numb, but that's loving and caring. It's attentive to God all day, every day, seeking wisdom, strength, help, guidance. What if I had a a son, let's say, who was in his phone, you know, 95% of the day, and didn't really communicate with me, but then he did only when he needed something. We wouldn't be too happy about that if we're seeking a love relationship. We want to talk about life. We want to talk about struggles. We want to talk about praise and triumph. We need a a relational faith with God always. Good two-way communication, understanding that it takes that relationship to to wait well. But he says another thing in verse one. He says, do not lose heart. That's an enduring faith. A faith that has courage and resolve that it's never gonna quit. No matter how hard life is, because life's gonna be hard. Jesus said in the Bible that in the world, you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We have to understand that that life can be hard. I read an author who wrote that the first fundamental of life, the first fundamental of life is to understand that life will be hard. The first fundamental of life. Sometimes I think we like to pretend or hope or imagine that life with God especially would be trouble-free, it would be problem-free. The exact opposite's true. And so we need Endurance, And if you don't feel like enduring, I got a tip for you. Pray for endurance. You don't feel strong enough or you don't have the wherewithal to endure. Pray for courage. It's a weird world, 2020 with COVID and an election year with protests, with crime, with division, It's been tough, and Jesus comes to us in the middle of whatever we think about that, whatever struggle, whatever strain, whatever pressure, whatever stress that's putting on us, and he says, do not lose heart. Have an enduring faith. Prayer is what's gonna keep your partnership with Jesus alive. You're in a partnership with him. Like I said, the gospel, part of the gospel is understanding that God is with you to help you make it through this life. It's not the only thing, but it's an important thing. It's to help you make it through. I had a best friend when I was 10 years old, and we haven't talked for for decades. You know who I call when I need a friend to talk to? If I need help, I don't call him. But I have friends that I talk with routinely that we have a relationship that's ongoing. And I call them when I need help and support. Some of those friends I'm blessed here are, are, are on staff. Of course, I have friends from church. I have a small group I'm part of. Prayer keeps that partnership with Jesus and with his church, which is your support system, alive. Do not lose heart, have an enduring faith. And number three, It says there in verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He will give. You have to have a trusting faith. Your faith isn't in circumstances, it's not in other people, it's in God. You have to put your faith in his plan, in his purpose, in his promises. And you have to see those in the word of God. You have to hear what those are from him in the word of God and trust that what he says is true. Even though, listen, even though sometimes it won't feel like it. That's why we call it faith. We trust in God for leading and guiding us through his plan, his purpose, the promises he makes for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably one of the most quoted verses in any Christian school yearbook, and for a good reason. It's so true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many days a week do you want your own understanding? How many days a week do you trust in your own understanding to carry you through? The Bible says, don't trust in your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths all your ways. This might sound funny. I didn't say this the first hour. I'm just now thinking of it. I'll go, I've been riding a bike lately, just a little bit, and I'll go on these rides and I'll go places where I kind of know where to go and I'll have options. If I turn right, it's going to be another 20 miles. If I turn left, it's going to be 10 miles. And I'll come to that crossroad and on the bike, silly as it sounds, I'll say, God, which way should I go? I don't think God cares. But I do think he cares that I care to ask. And we have moments through the day where we can and should, every slice of time, God should be a part of that. And we need to have that relational faith that saturates our endurance and our trust with persistent prayer It's kind of like a dad flew to North Carolina to take his young daughter, just graduated from college, to bring her home in her car to Huntington Beach for a wedding. And on their way, they're going to face some challenges for sure. I don't think you can make that trip without some. But she's with her loving father. And she trusts him, and he's guided her, And they have a blast telling stories and looking forward to what's ahead and also enduring things like a rainstorm in Kentucky or a flat tire in Missouri or bad food in the Texas panhandle, fatigue, a broken alternator, that life-sucking-out-of-your-soul drive across the Arizona desert. but they share and they endure and have a lifetime of stories based on a few days of coming across the country. Why? They have their eyes on home. They never look away from the promise waiting for them because how in the world can you keep relational faith, enduring faith, trusting faith? It's the same reason why you would wait at the DMV or anywhere else. It's because you believe the promise is worth it. You endure two hours at the DMV because the promise of being legal is worth it. You want to drive. You want your license. You want your registration. You wait in line. You wait in line at Disneyland because you think the joy and the thrill of going on the car's ride is gonna, it's, it's gonna bring worth to your life, even if it's only for two and a half minutes. It's worth waiting four hours. Somebody else, I forgot to tell you, waited in line seven hours for a movie, movie premiere. We don't hardly do that anymore. I kind of miss it. It's weird. I never waited seven hours, by the way. Two and a half, maybe, seven, seven hours to go see a movie premiere. Why? Worth. And here's the thing about waiting well for Jesus. It's worth it. The promises of God are worth waiting for in prayer, in endurance, and in trust. Here are the promises for all people that are worth waiting for. 2 Peter 3, 9, if you don't know Jesus today, man, God's grace, God's love for you is so strong. It's you're part of the reason why he's waiting. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says that the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. And that's a reference to the promise to come again and take his children home. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering, or he's patient toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knows they won't. He knows not everybody will come to repentance, but he knows some will. And every day he waits as a chance for somebody else to come to Jesus. It's a chance for you to come to Jesus if you haven't yet. It's a chance for you to receive the good news that says he will forgive your sins. Help you through this life and give you a promised home in heaven. And it's a heaven, John 14, one through three, the Bible says, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. You think about this this world, like I said at the beginning, I love being outside. I mean, for me, a weekend's not a weekend unless I get to do something outside. I just like blue skies, sunshine, grass, surf, sand, moving. I like being outside. Six days to create this earth. God's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. And it's for you if you know him. Awesome promises. He promised it to you if you don't know him yet, his love is yours, his salvation is yours for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's an awesome promise. So those are the promises for all people, the promises for God's children. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, we're crying out for justice. We're crying out for justice. We want relief. We're like the widow. We hope God would just come in an instant. He's gonna come in his timing. It might be a week. It might be 10 years. It might be 20 years. It might be 40. We don't know. But when he comes, the promise from 1 Thessalonians 1.10 is that he will deliver us from the wrath to come. And he's going to take us to that place that he's been working on for 2,000 years. And then in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, a promise worth waiting for. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. What amazing promises from our loving, caring Father who will not fail, who will keep his promises, and his promises are worth it. One day we will be together with him. We're going home. And yes, between now and then, whenever that might be, we have to wait, but it's worth it. I'd like to have the band come back and they're gonna help us through that last song to help us reflect more on the fact that we wanna have a faith that's prayerful, enduring, and trusting, a faith that never looks away. So Jesus, we are so frail and so ignorant if we're honest. And we can't do anything good in this world without you. We certainly can't save ourselves, so we're grateful for our salvation. We need so much guidance and help and wisdom from from you every single day. And so we want to wait well with you. We want to be prayerful. We want to endure and we want to trust. And we never want to look away. And for any soul in this room or in this space that may not know Jesus, our desperate, urgent, heartfelt prayer is that they would turn their life over to you today by praying a simple prayer similar to to this that just says, God, I know I need you. I can't make it on my own. Please forgive me. I've sinned, and I can't take care of that on my own. I need your help to get through this life. Help me. And I need you to be able to to get me into heaven. This is also something I can't do. So just come into my life and be that promise of salvation. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.